youth pastor one night after a service, I discovered something really disturbing. A little, a little girl came up, young junior high girl or, or early high school. And while she was worshiping God, while she was in God's presence, evidently $20 had been stolen out of her purse. And she, she had all the circumstantial evidence. It just seemed really likely that had occurred. And I was so sad for her, sad for the person who stole that. I mean, it was just a, just kind of a deflator, a bummer is what it was. So she probably went home with 140 bucks that night because you staff felt bad and was giving her a $20 bill. And then we kind of talked about protocol and ways we can improve and, and did what I felt like was all the proper stuff. But despite that, her dad found me the next week, and man, this guy chewed me out. I mean, he just told me, you think you're running a youth group and this happened and blah, blah, blah. And he just went off, man, and he just was angry, so furious at me. I did all the, what I knew at, my young age, at that young age, how to defuse the situation, I even offered him more money, and it's not about the money. And he just went off, and it was unreasonable and unfair, and it was really rage more than it was a conversation. wasn't It was not helpful, and that was a long time ago. And that gentleman, you know, I don't remember anything else about him, but I remember that interaction. Today, my message is titled "This: A Reputation for Christ." I remember that story because every conversation we have, every choice of word, every interaction, the way we live our, our lives, we're either, we are building a reputation, either a positive one or one that is harmful. And it was really easy for me to use that story of somebody distant that I haven't talked to in years, that I hope in the rare chance that he listens to my podcast, I hope he doesn't listen to this one. That's an easy example, but I know, I know I've done it too. And hopefully I haven't done it to any of you. But chosen wrong words or didn't lead well. And in the body of Christ, there's lots of grace to overcome those types of mistakes because we all make mistakes. There's only one perfect, his name is Jesus, and we're all going to make those type of mistakes. But the, the reason... I bring that up and, and even these vague stories about myself is that in interaction with people, we cannot forget that all of the choices we make is either building our name or tearing down our name. And this is important, not because of our name, but because of the name of the one, the one who has won our hearts, Christ Jesus, our Lord. So here is the first question I have for you. My sermon has two questions today. Here's the first question. How much is your name worth? How much is your name worth? The book of Proverbs is so helpful to us. It's known as the wisdom literature and it gives us moral lessons and it has a real practical quality about it. I would encourage you to, to read the Proverbs on a regular basis. Some people read one chapter for every day of the month. That's too much for me because most of the chapters, there's just so many wise things. I like to take one and, and actually digest it, but we all have different approaches. And that's kind of what I'm doing today in this lesson. I, I, I want to 
see this Proverbs 22 one that tells us that having a good reputation, having a good name is better than wealth. This is very difficult for us to accept when we're living the American dream. That dream that says, get more, accumulate more, be more. And there's a blessing within that, and I will acknowledge that. But the scripture tempers that and gives the appropriate boundaries. And so the scripture that was read earlier, and now we'll see it on the screen, a good name is to be chosen over great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. This is a reminder to us today that if, if we measure our life by earthly riches, it's guaranteed we're going, we're going to have disappointment because earthly riches do not last. Earthly riches can be a blessing and they are a blessing and God uses them and I'm grateful for the wealth the Lord has given me. You might say, is this some kind of rich preacher I didn't know about? All of us are among the wealthiest people who have ever lived. I know when we're paycheck to paycheck, we don't feel that sometimes. But hopefully, everyone in this room has access to food and to shelter. And we, we, we have the ability to travel and we're mobile people. And so sometimes we don't always manage that well and so forth and we'll address that in other times in other contexts but we can't move away from the fact that we, we really do have so many financial blessings and then we're in this environment where we're, we're caused we're, we're, we, we feel this pressure to push 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 and when we push we often forget about things like integrity character about doing things the right way. We live in a culture that says, show me the bottom line. What's the profitability? How profitable is this venture? How much excess is there? How much is there to spread around? And as Christians, we look at those things. We certainly, I'm meeting with the leadership board this Wednesday and they wanna know how this church, how, how we're managing the money and if we're abiding by the budget, all those things are important. But it's not just the bottom line, it's the intent that leads us to the bottom line. And, and I see this in, in our career choice and in, in the choice of a college major, for those of you who are looking towards that, and, and, the, and the way we conduct ourselves, that God really does care about the how. How did we get there? How did we get the silver and gold? How did we build our retirement savings? Where, where does our income come from? And this proverb, proverb pushes back against the, the mindset of the world that says, do whatever it takes, this is a mindset of the world, to, to be profitable, do whatever it takes to accumulate, do whatever it takes to get ahead. And the proverb tells us, no, your name, your reputation, is more important than silver and gold. A good name is to be chosen over great wealth. So I'm calling you, I'm echoing God's call as his messenger today, 
to emphasize character in your life, emphasize a good name, to don't be, don't be allured by the deception of the love of money. Money can buy you fame. Every one of you can become more famous if you have more access to resources. But money cannot buy you a good name. Money cannot buy you a good reputation. That has to be earned. Where do you get a good name? You accumulate a good name as a reward for good behavior, living wisely, traveling the path of wisdom. These are things that result in a good name. How do you have a good name? You keep your word. When you say you're going to do something, you do everything in your power to keep your word. That's why we shouldn't impulsively commit to things. And that's a hard lesson. It's a lesson that I've had to learn. I've had to learn to say yes to fewer things. I've had to learn to say no. Because when I do say yes, I want to, I want to keep my word. When I do say yes, I want to honor my word. When I do say yes, I want to be dependable. I want my name, because I love Christ, to be associated with reliability. And so we, we have a good name when we keep our word. And then we have a good name when we own up to our mistakes. Because every single person makes mistakes. None of us are perfect. Sometimes we can have this attitude, well, I'm gonna keep my word. And so we actually do inappropriate things so that we can be known as a person that keeps their word. And there's times when mistakes are made, you make the best decisions with the information you have. And those are the times you need to just step up and say, I was wrong. I overcommitted. I, didn't, I did not anticipate this circumstance coming to my life. That's not the time when things go wrong to have convenient amnesia and to just kind of fade away or fade out as men and women of God, as people who are earning a good name for the sake of Christ. Sometimes we just have to say, man, I, I was wrong. And I'm not keeping my word, not because I don't want to and not because I don't think it matters. It's just a mistake that I made and that's part of having a good name. Having a good name means you shoot straight, you're authentic. Your words are not fake. You're not saying one thing in, some, in front of someone's face, but with a very different message behind their back. And that's a challenge for all of us, all of us. And I'm asking the Lord to put a better guard over my mouth because I don't want to be inauthentic. I don't want, you know, I speak freely with my family. My family's there in the second row, my, my, my wife, my sister, my nephew is one of my sons. I speak freely with them. And as they hear me preach God's word, I don't want to speak one way here and another way with them. So Lord, help me with that. Help me put a guard over my lips. Help me to choose words better so that I can have a good name, not for my glory, but because for your glory. Having a good name does not mean 
as I've already mentioned, you are mistake free, but it means you actually care when mistakes happen. This is, I think, a real problem many of us have. We, we just disregard errors we make. We lack personal accountability. There's an absence of integrity. And I can't help but think that if people cared a little bit more about their reputation, they would care a little bit more about their choices. Nowadays, if, if, if our name doesn't matter to us, and more importantly, the name of Christ that we represent doesn't matter to us, then what's the big deal if we lie here or there? What's the big deal if we say one thing and then, oh, I don't remember saying that. You know what that's called? That's called lying. We do it often. And, and if, if the quality of our name is not as important, we begin to create shortcuts and we begin to take advantage of the weak. So whatever your reputation is this morning, whatever it has been up to this point, let's decide right now, all of us, listen, let's decide like right now, right here this moment at 11.38 a.m., let's decide right now, we're gonna care about our reputation. Not because of some type of pseudo kind of pride where we're, where we're trying to make our name better or the name of the church at Indian Lake better, the name of other group, but because we carry the name of Christ. We are little Christ. We are Christians. And how we live our life matters for the sake of the gospel. And it represents Jesus and who he is. So let's talk about this money issue. Why is it? Why is it that Proverb 22.1 connects this, this idea of reputation with money? Because often we put our security in money. We put our trust in money. And we wrongly think that we all do it. We daydream about what it would be like if we had unlimited resources, or maybe it's not even unlimited resources. Maybe there's a dollar amount that we thought, if I had this money saved, or if I had my house paid off, or if I had you know, enough saved up to take care of a need for, for, for one of my children, then I would feel secure. But guys, we know this. There is many, many historical examples of people who, who thought they were in systems where, where they were untouchable financially and those systems can change so quickly. Those systems can change so fast. We cannot trust in money. We cannot trust in that. We want to be wise. We want to make good decisions. But we have to be very careful to not, to not lose our good name just for a little bit more money that doesn't bring the security and the safety and the stability that we wrongly believe wealth will bring. Instead, there's a better alternative. There's a better way. We are called to trust in the Lord. Psalm 125 says this, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. That sounds really important, doesn't it? Because it was important. But it sounds really distant and far away. We think Mount Zion. And there is a lot of symbolic truth to Mount Zion, but it was actually a physical place where the temple was. 
is sometimes referred to as a physical place and sometimes a metaphorical place. But for the people who sang this song, they had seen Mount Zion. Like with their own physical eyes, they had seen this high and lofty place. And the Lord, the Lord was saying, think about this. When you see this high and lofty place in Jerusalem where my temple is, it is like a place that was set apart as a place of safety and security. And then it goes on in verse two. It says, the mountains surround Jerusalem and the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. How many love the mountains here in Middle Tennessee? Some of you are like, what are you talking about? I'm from North Texas ranch land. Guys, these are awesome mountains you have here or we have here. I know those of you from further east, Beth is from Eastern Kentucky. These ain't mountains, they're hills. But to me, they are mountains. I remember when I first came here, I was driving an I-65 and I was living at the Millersville exit and I missed the exit. And I went up the ridge towards White House. Guys, I thought it was the most exotic trip ever up I-65. I was like, I am going up a mountain. My ears are popping, I need oxygen. This is crazy. So for an old Texas guy, there's a lot of mountains around here. So whether you call them mountains or hills or whatever you call them, is you are probably near somewhere, you probably live or work or drive by something that has been around a long time, that has been around way before the Europeans started settling this part of the country. When the Native Americans, the Cherokees were here, many of these hills, these mountains were here, and they will be here if Jesus doesn't return physically in the next 500 years. These mountains and hills, they will be here. I don't know what's gonna be happening, how we're gonna drive. I don't know if we're gonna drive. I don't know all the transportation. I don't know what our architecture will look like 500 years from now, but the topography, the mountains will be here. They are stable. They will last. They surround us. And the Lord wants you to know they are a sign to you that he's surrounding you with his presence. They are surrounding you. When you begin to see these physical marks, these physical marks, are assigned to you, these mountains, these hills, they're assigned to you that God has surrounded you with something that is not just something that it, it will be here hundreds of years from now because God is the maker of the mountains. God is the one who created them. God is the one who sustains them and they are physical signs to you that he is surrounding you. This is what the Lord wants you to do. He wants, to he wants you to trust the maker of the mountains. And we see this in verse two, the mountains surrounded Jerusalem and the Lord surrounds his people. At our 10 year anniversary, I was touched when some of our staff made quite an effort to be here, uh, just to be here with us. Not, not because they were getting honorariums, not, not because they were featured, but they just wanted to be here because this church meant something to them. And that meant a lot to me. Um, it, it meant a lot to, to me that they would honor our memories together. There's been a handful of people in my life that I had significant experiences with and then they moved on to some level of fame. At least it was fame in their own minds. <laughs> How many know that? True, the, the truly famous people, there's only a handful who will be remembered in history, just, just, just a few. 
And as they were almost famous, as a phrase we, we, we use now, some calls weren't returned, some texts weren't returned, those relationships faded away. And it doesn't feel good to be used, does it? There may be circumstances behind that. Maybe when I'm almost famous someday, I'll, I'll understand those pressures. But the idea is you've been in those situations before too where you felt like maybe you had been used. And, and I wanted to reference back to my teaching on giving that, that I'm doing right now, kind of when we take up the offering. Guys, I, I want to teach you God's word on giving, but I do not want you ever to feel used. I don't, you, I don't, I don't want you ever to feel used or manipulated because I, I believe in what the scripture says. And I just wanna share what the scripture says with you. So none of us like the feeling to be used. So let me just ask you this last question. Who will you use in order to succeed? That's the last question. And I'm not, that's not a positive question. That's not like, who's your team? <laughs> this is like, no, who will you maybe misuse in order to succeed? Maybe that would have been a better phrase. I don't know if that's grammatically correct. Who, who will you step on on the ladder of success? Because the Lord is watching that. Verse eight and nine, it says, the one who sows injustice will reap disaster and the rod of this fury will be destroyed. Here's a contrast in verse nine. A generous person will be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. Look at verse 22 of Proverbs 22. Don't rob a poor person because he is poor and don't crush the oppressed at the city gate. Different translations had different words here. The weak is one word that is used. Don't crush the oppressed or the weak at the city gate for the Lord will champion their cause and will plunder those who plunder them. What, 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 what is the gate here? The city gate. The city gate is where financial transactions, legal and commercial transactions took place. So there were judges who would oppress the weak, those who didn't have the ability to defend themselves. Maybe they did not have the financial resources and in, in the commodity of that day, or maybe they didn't have the verbal skills. Maybe they didn't have the intellect as we, as we now have categorized people in different ways that were not categorized in the past. But there was no chance for appeal. There was no chance. There was no second chance. And the Lord says, this is a strong warning. We are not to take advantage of the poor and the needy. We are not to look at those who may be even spiritually weak. I'll speak to my own profession who don't understand God's word, who don't understand hermeneutics and how to interpret scripture and to twist the scripture to, to take advantage of their good hearts. This, this does not please the Lord. You cannot, if you care more about riches, if you care more about silver and gold, if you care more about about your next home, your next re retirement, and your reputation means nothing, then you're in a position to compromise. You're in a position to, to really dishonor the name of our God. The Lord is defending the weak. The Lord cares about that. It says the Lord will champion their cause and will plunder them. God has a different way for us. He has a different way for us. He has called us. 
He has called us to be people of principle, people of godly wisdom, people who don't take advantage of the weak. And I just want to say this, those who are disabled among us, we should never, ever ridicule them. We should never, ever make fun of them. And now, now that, that habits have changed positively and that's not accepted, now we should not do it behind their backs. It used to be okay to, to make fun of the disabled in front of their face. Now, we often do it behind their backs. And so you shouldn't say one thing and act one way in front of a disabled person and then roll your eyes at them behind their backs. That does not please the Lord. That is taking advantage of the weak. That's not what the Lord was wants us to do. Instead, God has called us to a different standard. I want you to stand with me. Psalm 146 says this, hallelujah, my soul praises the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to my God as long as I live. Verse five, happy is the one whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. We, this was a part of our call to worship today. He remains faithful forever, executing justice, executing justice for the, for the righteous for the exploited, giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoner. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the plan of the wicked. Guys, we cannot, we cannot as God's people carrying his name, step, be in step with the wicked. Instead, God is calling us to execute justice justice for the exploited, to raise up those who are oppressed. The Lord has called us to care about resident aliens, to help the fatherless, to help the widows. This is more important. This is more important than the silver or gold that captivates us. It's more important of who we are, not what we have. It's more important of what our name is, not how much we've accumulated. And that's why we go back to the beginning. Proverbs 22, 1 says this. It says this, a good name A good name is to be chosen over great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. I have to share one more scripture to you because I have to speak against the sin of the church, the sin of the church that, that is, is, is consumeristic, that is, is, is not operating in the spirit of Jesus. The brother of Jesus, James said this in chapter two, verse one, my brother and sisters, Do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there and sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Let's pray together. Father, your word speaks for itself today, God. God, we pray, Lord, we be people resolute, God, on following your word, following your ways. God, I pray, Lord, that we would care more about the, the how and not just the bottom line, God. 
We would care more about who we're becoming, the character we're displaying. And God, let us respond to this scripture today, Lord. Let us be a church that doesn't show favoritism. Let us be a church, Lord. Let us be a people that demonstrates the heart of God in the area of justice. Lord, caring for the marginalized, caring for the overlooked, God. Caring for those who don't have anything to offer us, God. Lord, God, I, I pray, God, that, Lord, the, the, the part of us that just wants to be part of a, a, a of a group of people that's just like us. God, I feel that pull in me too. And Lord, I just have to say in light of these scriptures, this is sin. This is this does not line up with you, God. God, let us love all people, all times, all places. That's your heart, God. I pray for an intergenerational church. I pray, God, for a church, God, that, that people of all ages, God, are coming together. I pray for an international church, God. I'm not just talking about, Lord, among Americans, God. I pray, God, among those you're sending from the nations, God, let us love Love them. Let us accept them in the family of God. Let us be loyal, God, to the kingdom of God before we are, are, are listening to our fears for today, God. Let us see, God, Lord, the vision that you had in Revelation 7, 9 when you told us, Lord, that all people of all nations and tribes will be before the throne of God. We won't be able to count how many are worshiping and praising God. And so, Lord, we thank you for that inheritance and we give that to you. So, Lord, as we go to the table of the Lord now, Lord, we pray that you would soften our hearts and give us a chance to respond to you.